Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me. Hello, Nate Langson. And additionally me, Ian Morris. And it's brought to you, as ever, every week by you. Thank you very much to our fantastic patrons supporting us every week through patreon.com forward slash UK tech. This is your extended ad-free version of this week's show if you are one of our patrons. But if you are not, I would like to get our ad-free versions and our extended cuts and our live streaming. And hello to everyone listening in our live channel right now. Head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and find out how you can support us for a very low amount and zero commitment. And thank you very much to Maria, who is the most recent patron. And she uh, joins us, and we're very happy to have you here. Now, later on in today's program, we've got a little bit of a special feature, partly brought on by the fact that if you don't care about Facebook and data privacy, then this week was actually a fairly quiet news week as far as UK technology stories go. So to that end, we are going to be having a conversation with a gentleman called Julian Saunders, who is a GDPR consultant, to give you a bit of a primer on GDPR for those of you who have no idea what it is. We've got just a month, just over a month to go until the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, comes into force. And so we thought it'd be a good time to get everyone thinking about what this might mean for them and give them a month or so to think about any action that they want to take. Obviously, from the consumer perspective, because businesses should know all this already. And if you haven't prepared your business for GDPR by now, um, well, good luck. Shall we don our matching speedos grease ourselves up and dive into the news yes let's okay so this week google has lost a right to be forgotten case over a man's previous conviction british judges ruled that the reputation of businessmen who had complained that old news stories about their past computer hacking charges were harming their reputation was more important than the public's need to know that those crimes happened uh, a second businessman failed in his bid to have links to articles taken down about a more serious crime now under the European right to be forgotten law, people can ask for irrelevant or outdated information to be removed from search results. We've known this for a while. It's been a case since, I think, 2014. But this UK decision, we think, may be the first time a major court has ruled, has effectively ruled that, that criminal conduct is eligible for erasure. You know, so it was meant to be irrelevant information, you know, and... and I thought, personally, I thought that convictions and things were, were, were sort of a part of that. But this is the first time we've we've had this tested in, in a court of law. But it also follows a ruling last month in France where a former um, chief financial officer w said his job prospects were being hampered by stories about a fine for some insider trading violation um, still being visible on Google. And that was also ruled in favor of the, um, the, the claimant 
in, mm-hmm. in France. Now, Google obviously has objected to all this. I mean, Google didn't want the right to be forgotten policy being put in place in the first place because it hampers its ability to say it's completely neutral. Um, but it has to obey with laws, local laws in the places it's operating. Um, and it said of, of this case, the EU policy wasn't intended as a, quote, right to rewrite history or tailor your past. This is according to Google's yeah. lawyer um, and written up by Engadget. Um, the lawyer also said, you may have rehabilitated but that doesn't mean you can pretend your conviction doesn't exist yeah that's right i mean it's it's in the public interest isn't it in the very very most real sense of the way word that people are able to check the past conduct conduct of people who may may do business with in the future yeah precisely now the case highlights challenges obviously that google has had in obeying these kind of requests and part of the problem is that uh, some people have complained that the the requests can sometimes be a bit frivolous and i mean it gets hundreds of thousands of these requests or has had hundreds of thousands of these requests since it had to start receiving them and i think so i i couldn't find an exact up-to-date figure but i think it's around half if not slightly just over half are rejected um and google has to review each of these requests uh, and and make a judgment call on the eligibility because the the wording in the actual law is is a, a little bit vague so there's there's wiggle room there on the part of people trying to get this stuff actioned and but and, and so the people complaining about a verdict can take that complaint to the information commissioner's office the ico to ask for a review of that verdict so it it doubles the amount of time that Google's having to spend on each individual case. Um, so it's a massive pain in the ass. And this ruling now applying to seemingly from what the judge said are minor um, white collar crimes. Presumably this opens the door, certainly seems to set a precedent for other people who want to get this kind of stuff erased from Google as well. But Ian, you seem to agree with Google on this. I do because, um, well, I think the right to be forgotten thing is a bit of an odd one. Um, I'm, I'm amazed that it managed to become a law. Um, I, I don't know. I can see it being useful um, for some people and, and right that you could be removed. Say, for example, um, there was a lot of reporting about an alleged you know, crime that you committed, but it turned out later uh, when you were tried that, in fact, you didn't do it and you were uh, not guilty precisely and that is exactly why this law does exist uh, yes uh, you know according to the people who created it yeah and that and that feels to me like this is a, an abuse of that because this person um was convicted of a crime or whatever or they or whatever i you know maybe not convicted of a crime but they you know he was <clears throat> yeah okay fine so yeah so then therefore i think that's a matter of public record i don't see why anyone should have the right to have that expunged um, I, I just feel like it's just not reasonable. You can't just rewrite history. Like, as, as they said, I do completely agree with that. You know, you don't get to tailor your history um, just because you feel like it's, you know, doesn't do your current job any favours. It's interesting the chat room's um, having a conversation about how history should not be allowed to be altered in any way. And John uh, has replied, I think uh, President Trump may disagree with you there um which reminds me of all the interesting examples of where trump and we don't want to go into u.s politics or any politics that's separate to tech on this show really but there have been many examples where he's done or said something and then people have retweeted a tweet from four or five years ago during the obama administration like calling out obama on the exact thing that he was now doing and so yeah i i i get that 
But yeah, and and also, I mean, yes, I the, the problem with history is it's it sometimes. Um, I mean, it, okay, the whole purpose of news is that you write something in as an impartial a way as possible, so that it does reflect only the facts. But the reality is that most even news writing can occasionally have a, an element of bias of the publication or the writer or whatever, um, and therefore. Um, it's quite. It can be quite difficult to actually ascertain the truth in the internet age. I know that sounds sort of counterintuitive, really. But if, if you know, if we have history books which are written and and generally everyone agrees that that's what happened, then that's about as good as a, a, of, a of a historical record as we can hope to have. But the internet allows anyone to write any story with any amount of bias and to skew the facts, if you like, to to suit their narrative. So it's becomes quite difficult doesn't it and uh, you know uh, but I, having said that I think information is should be uncensored and I think people care enough they can look around and try and find the truth of what happened but removing something like this doesn't feel right to me. I remember an example where a friend of mine um, who had a, an all a very very unusual name uh, I, it was a name that was it sounded fairly um less unusual but but the spelling made it very unusual and she when she was about 19 wrote in to um, a woman women's weekly sort of magazine that had asked for somebody to keep a record of what it was like to try a different sexual um practice uh, every night with a boyfriend um right. and she she took part in this and it was it, it wasn't meant to be um daft it was meant to be meant to be serious light-hearted but but useful and yeah. she she did and she got it published and it had her name and everything but then a few years later she became uh, a writer for a similar sort of magazine and found that as the interest in her and her writing had increased the very top results in google was the online version of her story from a few years earlier talking about the week that she practiced um new and untried sexual um acts with her then boyfriend who as far as i'm aware she wasn't still with and so that's an example of something that wouldn't fall under the right to be forgotten uh but at the same time you kind of probably wish it did yeah i can understand that but i i I can understand that as a problem, and that's unpleasant. But also, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want anything just to be prohibited. It doesn't seem fair when no one broke the law. If you see what I mean, like she was commissioned to do something, she did it. Um, it was a part of her life. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Google should. Oh, I don't know. It's 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 impossible. I mean, the, 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 as much as I criticise Google, managing a search engine is actually quite. It's going to be quite tough, and it's going to get tougher. Um, yeah. But I wonder if they could do something to not uh, remove it from the listings, but to move it down the rankings. If you see what I mean, like if she said, "I don't mind that people can find this, but." Um, is that really representative of my most recent work? Well, no, it isn't. And if people are trying to find me, the other thing is, of course, I suppose she could battle it by doing um, more of her own SEO and getting a, a page up that you know is the most relevant and that Google sees as the most relevant. 
um, and trying to beat it that way. But yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the thing to remember is that, you know, if you're going to write things and have them published, they will be there forever. Uh, we were just talking about some old stuff that I wrote, weren't we? Um, on we WhatsApp were. Before that, that, we came on. So, you know, I as much as I don't mind those articles, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. If I if there was something I'd written there, and I have written things at CNET that I, wouldn't, that I don't necessarily agree with now, but I did at the time, um, you know, Say, for example, when the first Apple TV came out, I was pretty critical about that. Um, and, you know, if Apple went back and looked at that now, they'd be like, oh, well, this is kind of mean. Um, and But I'd be like, well, yeah, but that doesn't really reflect my current opinion. And things change, don't they? But yeah, plus I, I the, think the reason for writing a lot of that. the stuff that you and I wrote when we were at CNET was fueled by hitting certain quotas yeah. at certain times yeah, of the year. Yeah, the desire to fulfill traffic targets and keep the advertising people in the manner to which they become accustomed. Now, That's Richard, a just a reality of uh, publishing. Sorry. Richard in the in the chat was asking about how this affects Wikipedia, affects Wikipedia and can you request to be forgotten on Wikipedia. Um, I mean, the right to be forgotten specifically refers to search engines. So it's not... You, it, it doesn't apply to the removal of content from websites themselves. For that reason, you would have to individually go to that website uh, and and uh, and petition for a removal. <clears throat> this just affects the, the 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 directories, the search directories that point people towards those articles. Um, so it's kind of like you can't get rid of the the giant eyesore of a house in your local area, but you can get rid of all the signs that point people towards it. Um, and, and for Wikipedia, at the end of the day, you can you can also change it yourself. And in fact, to be honest, I, I'm kind of hoping somebody will at some point um, go and fix my Wikipedia page because apart from being massively out of date, whoever's written it has spelt my name wrong in several places through it. <laughs> uh, I'm called Landon. It says uh, Landon ended up accepting a position at Bloomberg instead. Um, which also is technically. You can change that, can't you? I mean, it's. I can, but you're not meant to do your own. Well, you're your not. Own but I mean, page. if there's factual errors that you know the answer to, then why the blazes isn't that the best source of information? I don't know. Uh, well, maybe, maybe maybe a listener who knows better can go and fix this. Because, well, there you go. That's that's Nate asking for someone to go and sort well, his Wikipedia entry. I suppose. I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't mention text message. It doesn't. Well, and, and strictly speaking, can't, it says, I mean, you can't I was, expect them to do that. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Uh, it's you know. just it's just weird it's like m the name is correct at the top of the page page in massive letters and yet somehow someone's spelt it landon in the lead anyway uh, well, yeah i'd be very nice. grateful if anyone wants to go and, and fix that because i think it's frowned upon to do it yourself um but more broadly anyone who has uh views on uh the right to be forgotten um do let us know what they are have you had your right to be forgotten exercised or not we're very interested here. That's hello at techpodcast.uk. Well, we're a bit heavy with our stories this week, and don't worry because Ian and I have come up with a great plan to lighten the balance in the second half of the show today, and you'll be very amused by what that is, I believe. But in the meantime, do we want to mention this story about how online political advertising... Uh, ha will now have to state who paid for them. This is under in, in a crackdown following the various allegations of election interference over the last two or three years. So online political adverts will be legally required to state who paid for them. This is 
a part of a government crackdown uh, and this was first reported by the telegraph this week a change to the electoral law will require the details of publishers and promoters of election literature these are called imprints which i didn't actually know that's what they were called to be published on online election adverts as they are on hard copy leaflets it always says you know this was paid for by such and such online apparently that isn't uh, the case at least not in the uk and not up until now the changes will be subject to a consultation fair enough and i have an idea for something that should maybe be part of that consultation and it will then become quote an electoral offense to engage in electronic campaigning without an imprint or with a fraudulent imprint this according to officials in government anyone found not to have declared their links to political adverts will be hit by an unlimited fine under the plans now here's the key bit and this is the bit that i think needs to be entered into this consultation this doesn't apply to commentary by experts or on social media now mm. the the actual the article in the, the telegraph story directly reference references the alleged russian election interference that was almost entirely alleged to have been conducted via social media <clears throat> yeah and and in the form in many in large parts in the form of advertising and obviously with the ongoing stuff around Cambridge Analytica and user profiling yeah. and, and ad targeting based on data that have been improperly acquired it seems to me to be a striking omission to not include social media what are your thoughts Ian uh, yeah absolutely I mean I, <clears throat> I as I said the Facebook did that investigation, didn't they, into um, exactly how much uh, Russian interference had been detectable through the Brexit vote? Oh yes, um, and and they were and they said, well, only two adverts ran or something like that, um, which is obviously not the truth at all. It's not. It's, it's part of the truth, but it, it, it ignores the the possibility that um, various political co- companies were used. For example, Cambridge Analytica may or may not have been one, and there may be others. Um, and I think that you know what what people would be sort of better served by, and this is this would work from this perspective. And I know that Facebook is investigating doing something very similar to this is to say this advert has been paid for by X. Um, and we talked, I believe we talked about Facebook changing the rules, didn't we? That they're going to be uh, requiring that all political adverts say on them, this was paid for by X. And they're, so they're doing that separately anyway. And it should be noted, John in the chat room has just said, can't believe it, perhaps they're hoping after the Facebook scandal, they're hoping that the onus will be on the social networks to solve this problem, which I think is, is what you're saying as well. Like this yeah, will be in there. It will be, and I and I can see that there's some value in that. Um, what I think the problem, what I think it, it really the issue here is that we did not perhaps realise quite what was going on and how it was working. And as we spoke about before, um, I'm aware of the fact that. Um, it wasn't so much adverts specifically saying vote yes to Brexit or um, vote for Trump or anything else. It was a sentiment that was used to play on the fears that people have, which are perfectly reasonable fears. You know, uh, if you hear enough times that the EU uh, doesn't like curved bananas and that we're all going to have to buy bananas and they're going to cost more because they've got to be curvy. Also, I don't know, whatever. You know, you hear those stories and over time that ac- accumulates in your brain and you might it might change your outlook. I, I remember having read those stories for so long, um, but when it came to vote in the EU referendum, I, I did have to sort of re-look at everything. So 
what I'm concerned about more than anything else is that there are companies that are using Facebook and Twitter and other um, media and adverts in general, and they are subtly manipulating people's opinions over the course of a period of time. And we don't know, but having putting on each advert, this advert was paid for by X uh, and it was run by this company might help. Because if we keep seeing this is a Cambridge Analytica advert or whatever, then we may sort of think, hmm, there's something going on here. I'm seeing a pattern or whatever. It might help people is what I'm saying in a very long-winded way. You know, the banana issue was never really a massive actual issue. No, indeed. And, and, there's, and there's actually a whole uh, page on um, the EU's website that yeah. debunks almost all of the myths related to the EU. And again, you know, look, I'm, I, I feel somewhat ashamed in a way because I I bought a lot of that like anyone did. You know, you read these headlines about, you know, EU to ban X, Y and Z because Y or whatever. You know, the Dyson vacuum cleaner thing is, is, a, is a good enough example. Like, you know... The, uh, it, the rules are sensible, and but you know you hear enough times that we're going to have our all of our vacuum cleaners are going to be banned. We have to give our back vacuum cleaners back, and somehow people sort of buy it and they think, well, why am I being? Why is my life being interfered with? But of course, the reality of it is, it is not true. What, what, what we're going for is trying to save the goddamn planet, <laughs> and you know, and we're only we're only going to do that if we legislate, because frankly, business isn't going to bother as we've seen. So anyway. If you would like to bother sending us an email so that we can see what you think, uh, do, of course, let us know. You can do so by emailing hello at Tech Podcast, or as so many of these stories and uh, explosions of opinion tend to happen and reverberate around the social media echo chamber, why not tweet us your thoughts on at text message pod? Okay, so we are now about one month away from something that I think is best described as the most important thing that is also the most boring thing to come out of Europe and affect internet users possibly ever. It's called the General Data Protection Regulation. You probably have heard about it. It's quite possible you don't know much about it because it's so impenetrably dull. So we thought with a month to go, we'd go back to basics and give everybody a really digestible, very easy to understand primer about what GDPR is, how it will affect you as a person, not as a business, and what does it do for you? Because these are questions that some people don't seem to actually know. So to do this, I met up with a gentleman called Julian Saunders. He is the CEO and founder of personal data government's company Port.im. He seems to know everything about GDPR, as far as I can tell. Didn't bring any notes into our meeting. And I started by asking him why governments have decided GDPR is needed in the first place. It's a fundamental trust issue around data channels and, uh, and the way that we live our lives in the future. If you think about the way that your landline telephone is being used at the moment, it's probably left in the corner somewhere, barely ever used. And when you pick it up, it's some kind of cold call trying to sell you double glazing or accident claim insurance. It's incredibly important that digital channels remain trusted and have integrity. And so to underpin that at this early stage of our digital evolution, it's necessary to have regulations that ensure security and privacy of personal data 
whilst at the same time making that data open and transparent to the individual so that we remove this fear of what's happening with our data behind the scenes. What does a company have to have in place then in order to comply with this new regulation? It's a complex piece of regulation. It's uh, written in principles rather than a prescriptive regulation and therefore it's open to a lot of interpretation. But it falls into two main categories. Firstly, on the security side, every business should be thinking about how secure the data is that they they manage, where they keep it. Uh, And then, of course, they should be looking at how that data is used and how open and transparent they are in terms of gaining that data in the first instance, using it, sharing it with other organizations and enabling consumers with their their rights. And those rights are to, to see that data, to edit the data, to potentially delete the data and certainly to gain a copy of that data. So what kind of organizations are covered by GDPR then and which are which are typically exempt? I'm thinking about the average person in the street. What sort of companies and businesses can they go to and say, I want to see everything you have on me and then I want you to delete it? Who do we go to and who can't we go to? So if you think about the businesses that manage personal data, it's almost every business in our lives. Uh, pretty much every organization has to employ individuals. Uh, that's all personal data. Uh, the only businesses that you can't go and exercise your GDPR rights with are generally government agencies and uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, other than that, pretty much every organization. And what kind of data should I expect to be able to get from a company? You know, we, there's been a lot of hypotheticals thrown around around things like transport companies and retail businesses and even our own employers potentially. So, you know, what 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 can the, the average individual expect to be able to get? It does depend on the legal basis that that company is using to hold that personal data. So if you're talking to a marketing company that uh, you've never had a contractual relationship with, Uh, they are probably holding data about you on the basis of consent. If they are using consent, then you can go and request all of those rights. You can request to be deleted. You can request to edit your data. uh, You can request a copy of it. If it's an organization that you have a contractual relationship with, so for instance, your energy provider or maybe your car leasing company, then you have a, a right to go and see the data that they have about you, uh, to request that data in machine readable format to edit that data, to see it, et cetera, to, to, to potentially delete it, certainly from their marketing uh, capabilities. The challenge comes with organizations that are using legitimate interest. If, uh, if an organization is using legitimate interest to store your data, then your rights are severely hampered. And unfortunately, this is the great loophole that is available to organizations. But it is one that can be tested by us consumers if we feel it's being incorrectly applied. Uh, If you are, for instance, thinking about uh, security cameras, CCTV cameras, it's not realistic to expect uh, a a surveillance organization that's looking at maybe a railway station to make video available to individuals about that individual because, of course, you know, there's thousands of people pass through. They can't be expected to know who's who. And yet, of course, uh, facial information is biometric data. So this is considered to be personal information. But it's unreasonable. And of course, the purposes that CTV coverage is being carried out for are primarily for our own security and therefore they're for the greater good. So it would be typical that a CCTV surveillance organization would be using legitimate interest for holding that personal data. So what use is GDPR to us other than peace of mind? If an average person sent out a bunch of GDPR requests and and got a lot of machine readable data back, 
what can they actually expect to do with it? At the moment, there's a great lack of things that they can do with it, except uh, look at their past histories and and wonder at how much they spent. But it won't be very long before many organisations start to realise the value of this new data source. And we as individuals will be able to become data brokers effectively of our own data. We'll be able to request it from organizations that we've had relationships with and share it with organizations that we either hope to have a relationship or want to have a relationship or can benefit from providing that data too. So as an example, uh, wouldn't it be great to be able to get detailed uh, usage of your energy, for example? You could then share that with another energy provider and maybe they could do some kind of analysis for you and tell you how much you could save by implementing uh, solar uh, energy panels. Uh, a whole world of opportunity can, can open up that's specifically geared around your life and the benefits that you can personally gain by sharing a whole range of, of data points with them. So it's really about putting a value on our data as well as a new element of, of control in a way that can benefit us financially as well as just, Very you know, much so, so of, uh, of course, we all understand financial value very easily. And in fact, there's a, a considerable theory going around now that we're at a, a turning point because our historic method of evaluating offers in our lives has been to look at price. Well, it may well be that in the future we start to look at the data value to ourselves and we start to judge businesses on what kind of data they can provide back to us that we can reuse in our lives elsewhere. If somebody wanted to get started making a GDPR request and anyone who's listening to this who's a EU citizen can do this, there's nothing to stop them, what do they have to do? Is there a process or a user journey that's expected at this point, or, or at least from May 25th when this stuff comes into force? There's no expected user journey, but of course you'd expect to contact the company. You'd expect to look for the, uh, the contact point that they publish and make available to you. Many businesses will have automated systems and processes for providing you with the information or for enabling you to exercise your rights. And that's the first point of call. Will we need to prove our identity? I mean, is there anything to stop somebody who doesn't like me pretending to be me in order to delete records that I might otherwise be able to sell or, or do something with? There are a lot of companies working on digital identities and associating that digital identity with your personal data. So we're likely to see those organizations emerging quite rapidly in a post-GDPR world. And finally, is there going to be any kind of dispute procedure for anyone who feels they haven't got what they should have got from a GDPR request? The ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, is always available and very, very amenable to listening to concerns. They have a, an excellent form on their site. Uh, you, can, you can make a complaint about any aspect of personal data mismanagement and you will generally get a very positive and quick response from them. Julian, this has been incredibly interesting. If anybody is looking to follow up or find out more about um, what you do at Ports and obviously about GDPR more broadly, how do they find out more about you? Where do they get in touch with you? Just get on to port.im and uh, you'll be able to see most of what we do with our service there. Or feel free to make contact with us via Twitter at Port Says. Okay, well, it's been a heavy show so far. It's been heavy as a bus, you might say. Uh, we've talked about politics, we've talked about GDPR, we've talked about political advertising. I think it's time to inject a little bit of helium into this show, a bit of light, uh, 
air. And I'm not sure where I'm going with that. Um, however, the reason we thought we'd do this uh, right now is because Ian was late earlier. <laughs> because he, he was stuck on a bus. Uh, I won't read the exact text of the messages he was sending me as to his feelings about it. But those of you who are aware of Ian's uh, enjoyment of cursing and, and being angry in general, you can sort of hazard a guess as to uh, some of the language used. Um, so we thought buses are terrible. We don't like buses. The service might be fine, but buses as, a, as an entity have lacked the kind of technological forward stepping that we have come to expect from our industry at large so we thought it might be a bit of fun to um, lighten the mood and bash around some ideas of how we could make buses better Uh, i'm calling this section how could buses not be as crap as buses are today (laughs) and we'll take some suggestions from the chat room as we're going through this as well so i'm going to go through a few ideas that i had just to kickstart things my wife in the chat room has just suggested a single word lasers um yeah john agrees make everything better to be honest yeah so here's some of mine so number one bus to bus chat service in your seat you can have a little console that allows you to chat with other buses nearby in your vicinity the bus knows where it is because you'll have gps at least here in london so you can chat with another bus user nearby and 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 you know see if you agree on the thing that's okay. happening to your left or perhaps so, so far <laughs> this is just making buses worse because i already don't want to communicate with the people on the bus i'm on let alone the people on other buses okay well ian won't vote for this feature uh, my next one is one that was also modified by my wife after hearing it because she thought she'd improved on my idea and i'm inclined to agree with her my my suggestion was going to be a pay to go faster option where you can effectively push cash into a little safety deposit box type thing on the back of your seat to temporarily increase the speed the bus can travel at (laughs) ideally legislation could evolve with this in order to permit this to actually happen but i think about how this is in games you can sort of get a temporary like nitro boost um, and it will go faster but then kate's suggestion was to advance this even further which is the ability to pay to skip the next stop uh, and have it like a bidding war so if someone really really needs to get to their urgent luncheon appointment (laughs) <laughs> they can they can bid to skip the next stop or the next set of stops and then other people have to bid in order to actually have it remain uh, lest they go in a circle on the entire route to get to where they want to go i can imagine and the chat room is very much in agreement here that uh, this would be wonderful chaos uh, i agree but wouldn't that be a lot of fun on april fool's day love it i mm. just um i i think the idea that you know a bus could be you know you'd start off with your bus and it would have you know what the profitability of a bus would be because you know roughly how many people are going to get on and how much they're paying to get on um and then <clears throat> you know suddenly you you turn a normal bus service into you know like someone's desperate to get off uh and they're paying you know 100 quid to do so uh, it would be quite funny buses would become the playground of the rich well, funnily enough, one of my other suggestions was premium seats for the wealthy. So if you are wealthy and are taking a bus, chances are you don't want to be on a bus, but some, you know, horrible necessity is, has made it, uh, you know, the only well, option available For to example, you. today they cancelled all of the trains, every single one of them. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to be on a bus. Kate says this in, in the chat room. Um, so that could just be... Uh, you know, that could be an interesting one. Maybe just have one seat. So for just the very wealthy individual sitting there, everyone knows that person has paid, you know, 10 quid for, for his or her seat. So that's that's an idea. Um, 
I don't like any of my idea, my other ideas in uh, in retrospect. I think I was rushing with them. Uh, I've got retractable well, roof. Don't know what I meant really by that. Interactive <laughs> map like they have on planes. That's actually not a bad idea. It's not, it's, but it's not going to make getting on a bus suddenly enjoyable, is it? Like it's not, um, none of these none of these ideas. No, really but it'll make the remaining on the is... bus enjoyable. So I was so I was I got excited when you were talking about oh um, you know like paying to skip the next stop or um, making it go faster because one of because I was so I was on this rail replacement bus. Now the problem with that is that um, they're obviously trying to hit the same timetable as a train would. So what you get is they they know that you know the traffic is not too bad so they have to sort of drive along slowly because they know that if they go too quickly then they'll be, then they'll arrive too quickly and bloody bloody blah, blah, blah and they throw the whole schedule out um so from that perspective i'd have been like i'll i'll give you 10 quid if you go at the speed limit kind of thing um and you know that would have been pretty good but also of course with a rail replacement bus you can't um you can't get off if unless it's a scheduled stop, ah, so well, th- well, so there you have a thing where you'd pay maybe, and you know the guy would let you off. Mind you, I could have just asked because it sailed past my house. I was like, "Well, this is depressing." Well, Nick may have an excellent suggestion for you here. Uh, here in the chat room, suggests ejector seats. Vote yes. for the most annoying passenger. I'm liking this, Nick. I'm liking this a lot. I think this is the best comment I've ever had. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this greatly. Um, well, do I email think... us your ideas for how to make buses into aeroplanes. Yes, exactly. If you have a way to improve your local bus service, we'd love to hear about it. You can send that to hello at techpodcast.uk. Maybe we'll come up with a prize for the most entertaining suggestion for buses. Uh, and maybe you can vote for this feature to make a return on a future episode. What else is bad that we can come up with ways as a team, as a group, as a single unit to make better. Uh, Hello at techpodcast.uk. Send in those thoughts. Let's check in now with Mr. Tom Merritt over at Daily Tech News Show. Tom, you magnificent beast. What's been going on elsewhere in the world this week in global tech? This week on Daily Tech News Show, we followed the trials and travails of Mark Zuckerberg's trip to Washington. Our great hope is for clearer terms of service and opt-in privacy controls. We might get one of those. We also talked about how Sweden is almost cashless and whether even that country will go all the way to eliminating cash. Discussed the rights developers have to another company's continued API support. Talked about the increase in mining of old batteries for metal and speculated on how the Greylock iPhone cracking box used by police forces might actually work. All that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you very much, Mr. Merritt. Uh, Ian, we are we are complete here. The, the, the final piece of the jigsaw has been put in place. Excellent. No pieces have been lost. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of your face, which leaves me feeling very excited and rewarded. Good, I'm glad. That's uh, That seems nice. Uh, thank you to everyone who's joined us this week in the live session, the live recording. Um, I noticed we do have a new face in our in our chat room this week, an uh, individual called Just a French. Oh, Just a Frenchy. I see. That's very good. Uh, if you re- hear this before I finish the sentence, let us know what you thought to your first live show experience, um, because it'd be great to get more of you joining in with our live show and uh, listening to our extended ad-free versions every week, uh, which you can get by supporting us directly at PayPal. Oops, not at PayPal. That was a bit of a slip. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Um, 
Uh, he says, it's Jacob from the US. Really enjoyed listening. Well, that's been fantastic. So uh, very, very pleased to have you here. And hopefully we'll get uh, another person to join us by this time next week. But uh, no matter how you're supporting us, whether it's through Patreon or whether it's through leaving us reviews and telling us your friends, telling your friends about us or your co-workers, that is just as valuable because every single word of mouth instance helps us maybe spread uh, like a virus or a bacteria. So hopefully we'll see more of you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.